0: Welcome to Pound the Rock, the score's NBA podcast. I'm Joe Wolfond, and I'm joined by a special guest this week. He is a staff writer for The Athletic. He covers the LA Clippers. And if you're listening to this pod, I'm sure that you have read his writing, his reporting on what was a truly strange, fascinating Clippers season. It's Jovan Buha. Jovan, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure, man. I have... Been really excited to talk about the Clippers offseason ahead because I just think that it's super fascinating. And obviously, this team is up against it, I think, like no other team in the league outside of maybe a Milwaukee going into next season. And I think, you know, you've just done some really great reporting about this team this season. And I thought you'd be the perfect person to have on and share some insight. So why don't we start here? You, uh, you've you written a lot in recent days about Ty Lue, who is taking over for Doc Rivers on the bench. Obviously, you know, there's, there's always these questions when an assistant takes over for a head coach, especially in a situation where there has been dysfunction. And I think there's some skepticism often about whether hiring an internal candidate in a situation like that is actually going to bring about the necessary change. So from your perspective, having spent a lot of time around this team this year, where do you see Ty Lu breaking from Doc Rivers, whether that's, you know, stylistically, whether it's his temperament in the locker room? How do you see this thing going differently next year? And what do you think Ty has to do um, in order to make sure that what happened this past postseason doesn't happen again?
1: Well, I shared a lot of that same kind of sentiment of, you know, you're replacing him with, with not only, you know, you're replacing Doc, not only with a assistant, but really someone who's one of his protégés, right? Like if you look at sort of the coaching trees in the NBA and, and every, you know, successful elite coach kind of has a coaching tree where, um, you know, we've seen it in San Antonio, we've seen it in other places where you have a coach and his assistants start to get plucked off um, where other teams want to try to replicate some of that success. And really, I would say uh, Ty is probably Doc's most successful protege. Um, so I understand why there would be some skepticism. and, and again, I, I shared that. Uh, but in conversations I had with people in and around the team, um, you know, they really pointed to like, you know, Ty is a, a different coach than Doc. There are some similarities. You know, both are very good offensive coaches. If, if you look at uh, Doc's teams in LA, they were always top five offensively when he had the talent. And then you go back to Cleveland uh, where, where Ty was and those teams were elite offensively. But, you know, outside of some of the the basic kind of core similarities between them, um, w- once you kind of dive into the, the details and the minutia, they are different as coaches. And, you know, Doc is someone who is, he has that reputation as a player's coach. Um, he, he really tries to cater to the strengths of his players. He, he wants them to be who they are. Um, and, and I think at times, you know, he has not held his players as accountable as he should. Um, I, I think you saw that a bit in the Lob City era. I think you saw that th- this past season and Ty Lue immediately came into Cleveland um, and, and, you know, it was a similar situation. He was the assistant, replaced David Blatt and he, called out LeBron James. He held him accountable. Um, You know, he told him, uh, as we reported, like he he wasn't in in good shape in front of the team. um, And to come in and tell LeBron James that, um, and and then to make decisions like benching Kevin Love in the playoffs in in critical moments uh, against Golden State and um, kind of going with these uh, unconventional small ball lineups, which have become conventional now, but even a few years ago, were still kind of rare in the NBA, aside from like Golden State. So, I think Ty is a more modern coach than Doc. Um, You know, his teams in Cleveland, were all top five in in three-point volume. Um, You know, we're really good three-point shooting, floor-spacing teams. His teams passed the ball more, they they screened more, they they had more off-ball movement. So I think looking at some of the Clippers' issues last season, a lot of it was, you know, they didn't have a prototypical point guard. They didn't have that traditional floor general Uh, A lot of that fell on Kawhi Leonard, Lou Williams, Pat Beverly. Um, And and while Kawhi's grown as a passer, he isn't at that like LeBron James, Luka Doncic level where he can really carry your offense that way. Um, And and Lou Williams and and Patrick Beverly are solid. But again, they're not at that like, you know, high level playmaker uh, status consistently. So I I do think that one thing the Clippers are going to have to address this offseason is bringing in a point guard, whether it's a starter or a, a backup. But I think with, with Ty, it's going to be, you are going to see, you know, this team should have been taking more threes last year. They, they should have been playing with more modern principles. Um, you know, I think there should have been more of a focus on floor spacing and, and pace and just kind of off-ball movement and, and some of the things you've seen with, with teams like Miami and, and Golden State over the, the, the past few years. Like, I think is going to bring some of that. And then defensively, um, you know, I, I think the Clippers need to add another piece or two, but uh, I think they should be one of these teams that's throwing out zone coverages more and and um, not always dropping in the pick and roll and, and, and different stuff like that. So I, I do think Ty is going to you know as, as someone who was there last season, he's he has a you know he had a firsthand look at what worked and what didn't work and and you know from what I was told in, in his interviews, um, you know they did kind of treat it like a blank canvas where he, he tried not to discuss much of last season, but he also had that knowledge of, of just kind of what was working for the team and what wasn't. So I think he's going to apply that and, and then he's going to apply some of the principles he's learned. And again, this is a guy who, you know, w- played under Phil Jackson. Um, you know, he, he has relationships with Eric Spoelstra, Brad Stevens, Steve Kerr, Greg Poppins. Like he, he's part of that elite kind of coaching fraternity. Uh, and, and, you know, he, he's been talking to those voices over the past couple of years. So I think while Doc is his mentor and, and the person he's most closely attached to, he did have the experience in Cleveland as both an assistant and a head coach. And I think he's a much different coach now than had he gotten this gig, let's say six years ago when he was coaching under Doc then, um, I think it's, it's, you know, two totally different people.
0: Right. And I want to leave the point guard thing aside just for a minute, because I just want to come back to that and talking about this offseason and free agency in general. But I do think it's there's an interesting push and pull because obviously, you know, Ty Lue came out in his introductory press conference and said basically all the things that you expect the coach to say in an introductory press conference where he's talking about playing with more pace and shooting more threes and more ball movement, experimenting more with defensive coverages. And like, look, those, I I totally agree that those are things that need to change. I think that definitely the Clippers could have shot more threes last season and they certainly like ground down offensively a lot of the time and and could have moved the ball a whole lot better. I think they were 28th in passes per game, 24th in assist rate, um, Mm -hmm. 6th in isolation frequency. But, you know, the team revolves around Kawhi and, you know, Kawhi, likes to play pretty slow and Kawhi likes to isolate. So, I mean, what do you do with that if you're Tyloo? I mean, you, you obviously are building the team around Kawhi and catering it to his strengths in a lot of ways. I mean, if Doc Rivers couldn't get that, I mean, and I don't know if buy-in is really even the right word, but how does Tyloo go about getting that buy-in from Kawhi in you know, essentially leading by example, right? Like if the team wants to play faster and move the ball better, he's the guy I think who has to change more than anybody.
1: Yeah, that that's a good question. And I think that's the one thing that's still kind of up in the air, right? Because you you, you do see, and I, I think Kawhi has entered that stratosphere, right? Where he's at worst the top five player. And I, I would say probably top two or three, like, you know, with, with the postseason LeBron had, it's hard not to put him number one. And then I think Kawhi's right there with, you know, Giannis or or whoever you want to put behind LeBron. Um, And and when you're at that level, you do get a say in how the team is run in in terms of what style of play you're going to have, or at least what style of play you're going to have on on the court when when you're on the court Um, and, and, you know, sort of some of the personnel decisions and different stuff. So I think Kawhi obviously is going to have some level of power and control over that. But I, I do think that the difference with Ty versus Doc is, you know, Ty did enter a Cleveland situation very similar actually to this LA situation. You know, they they had the first year where they ended up losing mainly due to injuries. Um, But, you know, who knows what would have happened in in that 2015 finals had Kyrie and Kevin Love been playing. Uh, But in that second season, uh, you know, it almost would have been like had the Clippers started this next season with Doc and then midway through were kind of, You know, had some trepidation of, is Doc the right coach for this team? Fire him midseason and then replace him with Ty. That's what happened. And he was entering a situation where there were some chemistry issues with, with, you know, LeBron and uh, Kyrie, LeBron and Kevin Love. Um, It was a very high pressure win now situation. And again, he immediately came in and and challenged LeBron. And, you know, one big thing with LeBron was always he didn't really want to play the four. You, You saw that in Miami. Um, you know, they'd have Shane Battier there or, or you know, a different guy, even like a Mike Miller sometimes was technically playing the four, uh, I mean, the four because LeBron didn't really want to play the four. But you saw in Cleveland, he started to play the four more. And that was something he's, he started to finally kind of embrace. And I think Ty is going to have to challenge Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Like, neither of those guys really wants to play the four. Uh, I, I think that was something that wasn't really discussed much. Like, the, the Clippers' best lineups probably could have featured... Kawhi and PG at the four uh, more often where those guys kind of wanted to play down at the two, three. So again, I mean, like you said, I I think Ty said all the right things and um, you know, I, I wrote about it. Like every coach says they're going to play with more pace. I, you know, going back to his Cleveland teams, their pace increased every season. So I do think that he has some credibility in that, in that um, you know, his first season that he took over, they were 28th in pace his final season that he left they were 8th in pace. So there was a gradual increase. I think it went 28 16 8. So it Clippers were 8th last season. It, it's hard to go up from 8. Uh, maybe they get into the top 5, but like you said, what you know one of the things this team really has to improve on is they were 28th in passes per game. they, they struggled, w- you know, w- with assists and and you kind of saw that in some of their their losses. It was a lot of high turnover, low assist games. And you know that is something that whether it's the same personnel or, or new personnel, they're going to have to adjust that. So I, like I, I think and then that was another thing, too, that I think people acted like the Clippers played slow. I mean, again, they were eighth in pace, but it, it just felt like they weren't as opportune as they could have been. And I think that's where Ty is going to have to kind of figure that out. But I also think another thing is just going to be what is the identity without Kawhi? I don't think this team ever really figured that out. Um, you know, they, they had some good moments that, you know, PG had a really big game in Indiana one time without Kawhi. And um, you, you had the Lou Trez pick and roll uh, at times during the regular season, but that obviously didn't translate to the bubble, to the playoffs. So I, I think one other thing for this this group is Kawhi is still likely going to load manage next season. That, that's probably going to be a thing for the rest of his career. So what do you do in those games where Kawhi isn't there? Or, or last year, he only averaged 32 minutes a game. What do you do for those 16 minutes a night? That he's not on the court. I think that's what the Clippers really have to figure out. Um, And and that's maybe where Ty is going to get more creative with some zone coverages uh, with these small ball lineups with shooting more threes. And and maybe they'll have kind of a separate identity away from Kawhi.
0: Yeah, they got outscored with Kawhi on the bench last season um, compared to having like a plus 12 net rating with him on the court. So uh, I, I definitely think that's a good point. Like they need to to figure out what their identity is when he's not out there. And so I do think this is really interesting, like Kawhi specifically. And I mean, this is reported by Stephen A. Smith. So I guess you could take that with as many grains of salt as you want, but he did. I mean, Kawhi came out and said after they lost to the Nuggets in game seven, that he thinks the team needs more basketball IQ and Stephen A. Smith, you know, reported that Kawhi has been kind of lobbying for the team to go out and get a point guard. And it's interesting to me because I actually think like Kawhi's playmaking came a really long way this season mm-hmm. and like he was playing more in the pick and roll. I thought like his pick and roll passing was actually quite good uh, and just way sharper and more advanced than anything i would seen from him before. So in a way like that created an opportunity for him to broaden his skill set. But obviously he wasn't especially comfortable with the playmaking load that he was carrying. So I, I'm I'm interested, I guess, in the kind of point guard that they can actually conceivably get because, I, I mean, you've mentioned it in your writing, like this point this point guard market is barren, and especially given the constraints with the Clippers, like their cap situation, uh, the free agent market, and how few trade assets they have, like they literally cannot trade a first round draft pick right now, a- and. <laughs> Um, I think that'll change after the completion of the draft on November 18th. Then they'll be able to trade their 2021 pick. But for now, they don't control their own pick until basically 2028. And they can't trade that pick because you can only trade picks basically seven years out. Uh, And and as far as like young players, I guess that they could realistically throw into a trade. It's like maybe Landry Shamit. And, and I guess maybe Zubaj, although they, they kind of need Zubac, So I don't think that they'll be throwing him into any deals. So like if they're looking at the free agent market, it's like, and this is dependent on what they decide to do with Harrell and and uh, Marcus Morris, like whether they'll have the full mid-level or just a taxpayer mid-level. But after like Van Vliet and Dragic, who are going to be out of their price range, it's just like all backups and... I know there was a report recently that they were going to maybe pursue Rondo, who might be the best of that next group. But the rest of the guys are like, it's DJ Augustine. It's like Jeff Teague, Chris Dunn, Shabazz Napier. Like, not guys who are really going to be moving the needle, I don't think, for this team. So, I don't know. I guess that, that feels like a bit of a conundrum to me. Like, I don't know that they're actually going to be able to get the kind of point guard that Kawhi seems to be hinting at when he says the team needs more basketball IQ. I mean, Rondo would fit that description, but I feel like he's also probably going to be pretty hard to pry away from the Lakers. So if you think about that question, like how do they go and get a point guard and what kind of point guard are they looking to get and can get, uh, what kind of names do you land on?
1: I mean, as you said, like I, I wrote, you know, I've been doing these these free agent tiers and it's pretty bleak. Uh, you know, it, it, it like... I think Dragic is gettable if they're willing to give him a 3 or 4 year de- I, I don't know if they could give him a 4 year deal just because he's 34 and I, I forgot what the exact rule on contracts past I think what 37 uh, I don't know if you can do a 4 year deal for him but if they offered him a 3 year deal at the full t- uh, non-taxpayer mid level that would end up being something around basically you know 3 years 30 million I think that's maybe the one way to get him because you got to think Miami's probably giving him like a one year 15 to 20 million dollar deal and you know there's no assurances obviously past you know we don't know what he's going to look like next season so um he he could opt to take the security take the longer term money and I guess just go into next season I, I would guess he's probably the starter but you know, because I think it would make more sense to bring Pat off the bench with Lou and, and kind of team those two up and, and then have Dragic as the starter versus a Dragic-Lou backcourt, which um, you know defensively would, would probably cause some problems. So um, I, I think that's like the best case scenario for him, but th- that would have to entail Dragic wanting to go to the Clippers, you know, being willing to take a, a slight pay cut potentially, depending on how confident he is in, in the type of contract he could get next season. But, but again, you know, he, he would be entering the free agent market theoretically at 35. And, um, you know, I, I don't, it's rare to see a 35-year-old point guard get, you know, double digit salary um, in free agency. So I think for Dragic, the, the one way the Clippers, but that, that, that's a risk though, right? Like the, he has an injury history. He is 34. He's now coming off this plantar uh, fascia, you know, injury that he suffered in the finals. Like. You don't know what he's going to look like next season. You don't know what he's going to look like two seasons from now. Uh, but the Clippers are in win-now mode. So I do think that's the one version of getting Dragic that's in play. Uh, but again, you know, after that, it's it's Rondo who we've seen in the regular season is a different version than the postseason version of him. Like In the regular season, he's kind of a middling backup uh, or even a low-end backup. Like He's not been that good the past couple of seasons – but, you know, obviously this postseason, his last postseason with New Orleans, like there is a thing to playoff Rondo, you know, his advanced metrics rise across the board. Like, it's not just a, a Twitter joke. Like, <laughs> there's actually data that supports like he plays much better in the playoffs. So, you know, th- that could be an attractive thing for the Clippers. Um, you know, I think defensively, he, he still has a lot left in the tank. Um, you know, you, you saw him in the playoffs and in, in, in the bubble pressuring guys full court, um, you know, switching on to wings and stuff like he was a very effective defender. And then obviously he has the, the playmaking aspect uh, where, where he's special, uh, but his lack of shooting, I think would kind of be an awkward fit around Kawhi and PG. Um, although they seem to figure it out now, you know, with the Lakers. So maybe the Clippers could figure it out as well. Then you get the DJ Augustine, who's five foot 11 and I think um, is a solid backup, but that's going to cause some problems in the playoffs, especially next to Lou Williams. Uh, the, the one guy I like out of the potential guys in this range is the Anthony Melton? Um, I, I think he is someone that um, has the potential to be a, a very high level backup. You know, and, and already he's a pretty good defender. You know, the, the one thing with him is um, he, he's not really much of a three point shooter, but he, he has. You know, he, he's only 22. Uh, he has really good defensive metrics, and you know, he, he has some of that playmaking already. So it's really just becoming a better shooter. Which you know, with the assistant coaching staff, the Clippers are trying to assemble you would think they're going to have really good player development. So, um, you know, if, if Melton can kind of take that next step, being more of an efficient and effective score and shooter, um, I, I do think he's someone who could be a low-end starter type, high-end backup type. Um, so that's the one guy I, I think looking at, you know, who's, but, but that might end up costing you most of your, you know, uh, taxpayer or non-taxpayer mid-level At which point you're potentially losing out, and some other guys that could help you. So they are in a tough spot. I have heard that there is, you know, a likelihood they're going to kick the can on maybe trying to get a Kyle Lowry, a Drew Holiday, a Ricky Rubio, like someone at that level. And in that case, it really just has to be that player wanting to go. Maybe Rubio would would be more gettable than you know Lowry or or Holiday. Like in those scenarios, I think obviously there would be teams with better packages, and it would almost have to be. Hey, Kyle Lowry, you're a Raptors legend. You know, we're going to blow this up, or you know, we're just going to go in a different direction. Maybe they want Van Vliet as their starting point guard moving forward and they're willing to move on from Kyle. And they're like, okay, where do you want to go? You know, we'll trade, you know, we'll do you a solid, we'll we'll trade you wherever you want to go as long as the package is reasonable. Um, maybe it's a three-team trade. Let's move you to LA. Or, Or Drew Holiday. The Pelicans are like, okay, we, we want to give the keys over to, to Lonzo, to Ingram, to Zion, Drew, we're going to move you somewhere else. Uh, where do you want to go? Something like that. Uh, but that seems very unlikely, right? Like I, I would not put the likelihood of that, that high. And, you know, the Clippers don't have, I mean, I don't even know what they give up in that scenario. It's probably something like, uh, you know, Pat Beverly, Landry Shamit. If a team is high on Montrez Harrell, maybe they can sign and trade him. Um, you know that's maybe one way to get a point guard Uh, but I it's it's looking to me like they're gonna end up getting one of these middling to high-end backups you know it's probably gonna be someone coming off the bench and they're just gonna have to hope that that guy in like 15 to 22 minutes a night can really juice up the offense and and help them Uh, but I, I do think if Ty you know can implement some of the stuff he's talking about implementing like it might just, you know, they might just get better at some of that stuff with continuity, you know, with a new offensive system uh, because a lot of it last season was freestyling. And when you don't have the playmakers, when you are freestyling, you're going (laughs) to devolve into isolation. And, you know, it is going to be a lot of, okay, Kawhi, it's your turn. Isolate, pull up at the free throw line. Okay, Lou, run a pick and roll, pull out the big, now take a step back three, you know, PG, come off a screen, you know, face up your guy, dance with him, and then take a step back three. Like that, it was a lot of that stuff. And I think they got to get away from that um, and and get just more into motion, more into movement. And if they can do that, even without an elite playmaker, I I think some of the offensive stuff will get better. And again, they're a second in offensive efficiency. It's not like this team struggled offensively, but um, they just had so many metrics that kind of scared you that you're like, if you could figure this stuff out, you guys are the number one offense in the NBA. Yeah,
0: I think that's the thing that's kind of, funny about all this is there is a lot of hand-wringing about their offense and how it functioned. And yeah, they were number two in the NBA in offensive efficiency. So they should be fine. I just think, you know, I, it doesn't sound like when Kawhi talks about, you know, we need another point guard. I don't think that he's referring to them needing a backup. Like I also am a big fan of DeAnthony Melton and think that he could help. Uh, I just don't know if that is what the team stars have in mind. And yeah, I'm sure they would love to get a Kyle Lowry or a Drew Holiday. We have a lot of Toronto listeners. I don't think they're going to be happy about that <laughs> suggestion. <sorry>. Um, <laughs> but I, I just don't think that they have the goods to get a deal like that done. And and honestly, the one I, guy that I thought that maybe they could is like Conley, who's on an expiring deal at like $34 million, which I think the real issue you get into there is just they don't have like one placeholder salary to get a deal like that done. You'd have to cobble a lot of stuff together. And I don't know that it's worth blowing up your depth for what Mike Conley currently is. Um, well, and,
1: and one one thing I'll throw out and this got picked up a, f- a few places, which just shows um, how you have to be careful what you say. Uh, but I was answering a mailbag and I just said, this is not reporting. This is just my opinion. You know, I think it's a bit of a informed opinion, but I think Kawhi is the only untouchable guy on this team. So reading between the lines there, I do think if it were the right trade, they probably would move Paul George. So I guess like if they, you know, if Kawhi is very adamant in wanting a high level point guard and, you know, with Paul George, he did have a bit of a disappointing season. He obviously had a disappointing postseason. He is a, uh, you know, uh, pending free agent. Um, You know, maybe they're going to extend him, but, I just wonder, you know, uh, and again, this is I'm not reporting this, but maybe it, you know, the, the doomsday scenario, the, the the drastic scenario to get a, a high level point guard is moving on from Paul George. And then I think that is where you get into maybe that's when you enter that Kyle Lowry, Drew Holiday. Um, you start to get into the all-star level point guard conversation. Um, and maybe depending on the team and what they're giving up, you can get two pieces and, and um you know because Paul George, for as much as he struggled last season, you know, still I, I think was clearly a, a high level guy, like a, a top 20, top 25 guy. So, you know, you, you still can get a lot for him. Uh, of course, the, the free agent status is going to potentially lower his value, Is it is a risk to trade for him, but that's the one thing I'd keep an eye on. Um, again, like I, if you ask me now, I would say most likely Paul George is back, but you know, if if the the Kawhi stuff really is as real as some people are saying it is, and, and he really wants that point guard, I, I think the easiest way uh, would probably be moving on from Paul George, especially if you don't have confidence long-term and he and Kawhi uh, successfully working out together.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying I would necessarily put that past Kawhi, but it would be pretty cold like a year after saying, hey, Paul, like, I want to go play with the Clippers with you. Uh, blow up yeah. your situation in OKC and demand a trade and uh, and then getting him shipped out a year later. I mean, that would be tough. But uh, I guess, I mean, Kawhi has kind of shown in the last uh, couple of years that he doesn't care all that much, I guess, about... Well, I don't know. I mean, w- what do you think about that, actually? I mean, you, you spent some time around Kawhi this year. Do you feel like he cares about how he's perceived or, like, how these moves are perceived? Like, I... I feel like he had an unbelievable season and I totally agree with you that he, like, to me, he's a top three player in the NBA, but you know, this was sort of his handiwork, right? Like he forced the Clippers hand when it came to acquiring Paul George. And essentially they gave up what they gave up to get him because that's what it took to get Kawhi in the door. And I feel like, you know, he comes out of this season, maybe not looking all that great, at least from like a power broker's perspective. Uh, Do you think that he cares at all about that? Like, do you think he would blink at all at the possibility that he would be, you know, sort of demonized for doing Paul George dirty like that? No.
1: Um, (laughs) And I mean, but you also like, it's tricky, but I think there's also though, like a, a basketball argument to be made that, you know, what is the fit between Kawhi and PG? Like there, there are, a lot of similarities, and, and we've seen, you know, like I, I think this is almost more of a LeBron James, Dwayne Wade type partnership, where you know that that first year there was a lot of overlap. Um, you know, this this year I, I think it, it went better than that. Um, you, you saw Paul George take more of a step back offensively, and just overall, you know, his, his usage went down. He he wasn't on the ball as much. You know, frankly, I thought he was actually not as aggressive as he should have been sometimes where, you know, in, in games Kawhi sat or or in moments when Kawhi was on the bench, um, you know, I felt like the offense should clearly be, okay, now it's OKC Paul George. Now it's Indiana Paul George. Like he is, you know, he's the alpha now and, and he's the number one option. And, you know, depending on who he was on the floor with, especially if it was Lou or Trez, there were times where he was still that second or third option behind those guys. And you know, just kind of watching that was a little bit jarring of like, we get when Kawhi's on the floor, you're going to be the number two, or even maybe the number three, if Lou or Trez has it going, but like when Kawhi's on the bench, that's when you need to be that number one guy that, you know, finished number three in MVP voting in, in 2018, 19, that, that finished third in defensive player of the year voting. Like, you know, Paul George, that season was basically a top five guy until his shoulder injuries uh, towards the end of the year. So um I, I think, like based on his his season performance, you know the injuries were out of his control, but even when he was you know relatively healthy, I don't think he was even at 90% of, of what he was in OKC um, that that last season. and then you look at the postseason and, and how much he struggled and his inconsistencies, like I do think there's a reasonable basketball argument to to move on from him. I'm not saying they will. I'm not saying they should. I'm just saying they're, they're like it didn't go perfectly in year one. And if you were looking at a scapegoat, I think Paul George is one of the candidates for that. I would, I would put Doc up there. I'd put Montrez Harrell up there. I'd put Lou Williams up there to, to an extent. But again, I, I'm this is just pure speculation, pure just kind of reading the tea leaves a little bit. I think that would be the, the most drastic scenario. You know, I, I think there's also a good chance they just extend him and, and he's on the team now for, for the next two years. But I think if, if Kawhi really wants a ball handler a high-level guy, you, you saw him have success in San Antonio with Tony Parker. You saw him do it in Toronto with Kyle Lowry. Um, if he needs that guy, Paul George is is pretty much the only movable, you know, high-value asset that they have. So I think it's an option. I, I don't know what the likelihood is, but I, I would not be shocked if that happened, I would say.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's definitely the nuclear option if they feel like the sort of incremental upgrades aren't doing it. My feeling is that you know, incremental upgrades can be enough. And this is the thing. Like I I was really high on the Clippers last year. I was actually really high on the Kawhi and PG partnership. And I think, you know, the big difference between that and the Wade LeBron thing, like you mentioned, like, you know, there is some overlap there, but but Kawhi and PG are both really good shooters. And so I think that makes the fit there a lot easier. And I think really, you know, the biggest variable and and the thing that can, kind of just push the Clippers over the top even if they basically make no changes to their roster this offseason is just PG getting back to something closer to what he was uh, a couple seasons ago when he was a top three MVP finisher and maybe that is just a question of him getting a little bit healthier and being uh, a year removed from those shoulder surgeries but I I don't don't know I mean you would probably know better than me It, it feels too early I mean, I know those guys can both be unrestricted free agents after next season, so maybe not. But it feels early after one year to just give up on that partnership. And I definitely do think that they can be better. What's up, Pound the Rock listeners? Just a friendly reminder to rate, review, and subscribe to Pound the Rock on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. You can also check out The Score's other sports podcasts. For Major League Baseball, there's Expand the Zone, for soccer, we've got Sweeper Keeper. Puck Pursuit has you covered for the NHL. And the Fantasy Football Podcast with Justin Boone covers, you guessed it, fantasy football. And in case you haven't already, download the Score app, available on iPhone and Android. That's where you can find all of our feature content, as well as live scores, updates, and breaking news. Now back to the show. You mentioned Harold and how he was kind of one of the scapegoats of that Nuggets series. He's an unrestricted free agent. And I think that this is just like a pretty fascinating situation because he's been a pretty indispensable regular season performer for the Clippers. And it also feels like he's been kind of their uh, emotional bellwether the past few years. And I, I think obviously all the extenuating circumstances that derailed his performance in the bubble you know, losing his grandmother and and having to miss essentially the entire seeding stage and then coming back and looking pretty out of shape and never really getting back into form and then probably being overextended because Doc Rivers, I think, understandably trusted him to play through it. I think, you know, there's definitely a a chance for recency bias to take hold here, and I'm sure that that's going to affect his market, but... Whether it affects the Clippers' desire to bring him back is another question. So, I don't know. Do you have a hunch, a notion uh, about how that free agency situation might play out? So,
1: as I reported uh, with the Doc Rivers departure, I was told that there was a bit of division internally uh, between the front office and the coaching staff on the value of Evita Zubats and Montrezl Harrell. And I think it was a bit exaggerated in the postseason because Zubats really, you know, he played his best basketball of the season in Orlando, um, you know, especially in the bubble. He, he fell off a little bit in the postseason. But I, I want to say in, in bubble play, he had like four or five double-doubles. You know, he he was playing really, really well. And that kind of carried over into the postseason. Uh, and then Harrell obviously missed a month and then came back and played not only, you know, bad basketball, but um, really digging into some of the numbers, like he might have been the most detrimental rotation player in the playoffs. Like he, he really was quite awful. And, you know, you, you do have to feel for the guy because he, he was dealing with the death of his grandmother, who he was really close with. He, he said she introduced him to basketball. Um, so that was something that was a very difficult situation for him. And then, on top of that, he did miss a month in the bubble. And, you know, we, we knew already it was a struggle for some guys trying to get back into shape. Um, you know that's why they had that kind of two or three week training camp, uh, and then the scrimmage play, and like he missed all of that. So he was coming into a scenario where he had basically not played basketball for months. Uh, you know, he, he was at the beginning of training camp for a little bit and, and then left. So, he basically hadn't played consistent basketball in months, you know, clearly was not himself physically, uh, you know, was not able to finish through contact, uh, wasn't dunking the ball when he'd normally dunked the ball, um, you know, was not as mobile or quick defensively as he normally was. So he really struggled on both ends. And I, I think that that is where, um, you know, a potential difference between Ty Lu and Doc would be. Um, you know, I, I think that in that scenario, Ty Lu would have reduced his minutes. He did have his minutes reduced a little bit, but he he would have reduced them even more if not cut him from the rotation. I think there really was a strong argument to, to be made that Trez should not have been playing um, after the first couple of games in the Dallas series when it was clear he was not himself. And, um, you know, for him to have played, I think it was 26 or 27 minutes in game seven and Zubot's only played like 12 or 13, like that to the Clippers and internally was like, what you know Zubats has clearly been the better player in Orlando why is he playing half the minutes of Montrez Harrell in our most pivotal game of the season so to to bring it to free agency i think there's going to be some recency bias uh, of the bubble in Orlando but some of these concerns were there all season like i i've been saying going back to the preseason if you listen to some of my podcasts if you read some of my preseason work i was saying like I have some legitimate doubts about the Clippers winning a championship with their closing lineup featuring Montrezl Harrell and Lou Williams. I think defensively, those guys are such liabilities. um, And and you saw it at times in the regular season. Um, the, The Clippers lost games against the Lakers, against the Sixers, against the Celtics, because those teams picked on Lou Williams defensively, dragged him into the pick and roll, used his man as the screener. And then he either had to you know, uh, rotate out to his guy who was popping or cutting, or he had to switch on to a Jason Tatum, a Ben Simmons, a LeBron James. And that guy just went at him and got to the rim or kicked out to a shooter. So, you know, Lou already, you know, I kind of think they have to figure out what they're going to do with him. But Montrez, I mean, he's a six foot seven center. And for as good as he is offensively, he's one of the best screeners in the league. He's one of the best rollers in the league. He's one of the better finishers in the league. You know, you, you can't you know, change the fact that he's a six foot seven center and he's a below average rebounder for a center. Um, You know, he has some solid rim protection numbers, but if you actually watch the film, like he often is a a step or two late defensively and all the, you know, most of the defensive numbers kind of back that up of the Clippers were much worse defensively with him versus Zubats. So I think, again, you know, I, I just don't really know if, if you want to base stuff off of Orlando, obviously his value is going to be a lot lower. But I think even just looking at the regular season, he was doing a lot of good things offensively. But defensively, there are always these questions. And I think that's not going to change. So even if you project his best version of himself, I don't know if that's a guy you can play against Anthony Davis or Nikola Jokic or Joel Embiid in a postseason. So to me, you know, I, I think based on some of the stuff I've heard, uh, my guess is he would not be back next season. Um, you know, I've, I've not been told that outright, but again, kind of looking at the division of why wasn't Zubats playing more, you would think that would imply that, you know, the, the front office or, or the organization, you know, didn't view Harrell as high as maybe the coaching staff did, in which case, you know, maybe they'd be willing to move on from him. So I think my my guess on the situation would be that he's not back next season, they either let him walk in free agency or they sign and trade him. Um, You know, I I think the one way it would kind of make sense to bring him back was if his value had tanked so low that you can maybe re-sign him on like a six to $8 million deal uh, annually. And, but in that case, like I really think Zubats should be the starting center and the closing center moving forward. I I think, um, you know, our John Hollinger at the athletic has written about it. Like, most metrics painted Zubots as a top 15 to 20 center this season, and you wouldn't think that. You know, if you were ranking centers, you'd probably have him somewhere in like the 30s. But he he's become one of the best rim protectors, one of the best rebounders, and one of the best screeners in the league. Like a lot of his metrics, it's like Rudy Gobert, and then Avita Zubots right under him. And not to say he's that good, but I do think he's a better player than Montrezl Harrell. I do think he's a better fit around Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. So to me, if I'm the Clippers, I'm saying, hey Zubats, you're a starting center, you're a closing center, you're playing 25 to 28 minutes a night next season. And Montrez, if you're willing to accept that backup role and and you know maybe a reduction in salary, okay, you make sense here. But if not, the center market is probably the deepest uh, of any position in free agency this season. So you can go out and get an Aaron Baines, a Nerlens Noel, you know, a Dwight Howard, like someone like that who's going to give you maybe 80. 70, 80% of what Montrez is giving you while also being better rebounders, better defenders, and, and kind of fitting more in that 15 to 20 minute role that I think the Clippers need. So my guess here, um, you know, maybe they just try to retain him to, to keep the the asset and, and flip him around the trade deadline. But my guess as of right now would be he is not a clipper to start the 2020, 2021 season. And whether that's him signing somewhere else or being signed and traded, I do think they'll probably go in a different direction and get a different backup guy.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the big question there is whether Zubats can be like a reliable 30-minute-a-game guy and whether that can just sort of free them up to either trade Trez or let him walk and just go after like an 18-minute-a-game backup. And like you said, there are a lot of those guys on the market. You mentioned Baines, Noel. But I mean, maybe like, look, if they do let Harold walk and maybe give themselves a chance to actually use the full non-taxpayer mid-level. I, I mean, maybe they can aim a little bit higher and go after somebody like a Derek Favors or possibly even like a Tristan Thompson. But I, I also think, you know, there's a possibility. I, I don't think it would be a straight sign and trade because I don't know that they can use the mid-level and do a sign-in trade in the same off-season, at least not if it's taking them into the tax but Yeah, it's, it's tricky. And um, then they hard
1: cap themselves as well. Yeah,
0: but I think, you know, what they could do is, is re-sign him if they can get him. I don't know if six to eight million is realistic, but even if they could get him at something like eight to ten and then, you know, flip him basically three months later once he becomes eligible to be traded uh, just as like a strict asset management play rather than letting him walk for nothing. Um, because they could, I, I'm assuming that they're going to want to bring Morris back just because of the lineup flexibility that he gives them. And the fact that, you know, they don't have a ton else going on at the four. Um, yeah. And, so and the, yeah. the
1: sneaky thing too, with them is, is Jermichael green, right. Um, He's he a $5 million player option. And if he opts out, that's where it gets a little tricky. Cause now you're juggling, you, you already kind of have the Trez Morris dynamic, but, but now you have Jermichael and you're kind of like, well, we might not be able to really add an upgrade you know if all three of these guys are, are kind of you know in the air with with, with who's going to resign and, and at what price and um so i think Jamichael' J- a domino that if he just doesn't opt out and, and stays on that five million dollar deal i, I think you, you might see them add someone for that you know nine million dollar non-taxpayer exception but if he opts out i think that's where it kind of gets tricky for because I, I think he he could get he's someone i think could get six seven eight million and you know every million counts when you're when you're in the tax so that that's one thing i'm i'm interested to see kind of what he ends up doing
0: yeah no I, for sure and i think I, I guess i just feel like if they if they were to re-sign harrell i mean and, and use him as a trade chip down the road that might be their best chance at actually getting the kind of point guard that they want and need um, because i do think like if he has a chance to rehabilitate his value and plays essentially like he was playing pre-bubble I still think that that's a guy that would generate a a decent amount of interest around the league, especially for a team that's maybe more in the like back half of the playoff bracket, as opposed to like a legitimate championship contender, Mm -hmm. because I think he's a good regular season floor raiser.
1: 100%. I I agree. And that's, that's one thing I want to clarify. Like, I don't, I think Montrose Harrell is is really good. I I thought he deserved six men of the year. I think. Again, I think he's one of the best screeners, one of the best finishers, one of the best, um, you know, rollers in in the NBA. Uh, I just think when you are looking at a championship team, um, especially at the center position, you know, like if, if you look at like look at the centers that were in the finals this season, it was Anthony Davis, you know, Dwight, Bam Adebayo, like those are all Clearly, you know, plus defenders, rim protectors, rebounders, you know, varying degrees of mobility, obviously, uh, Bam and and AD are are much more mobile, but even a guy like Dwight defensively and on the glass is just so much better than than Montrez that you could argue he's the better player, you know, like, I mean, I think sometimes we we fall in love with the points per game stuff and, and Trez averaged, you know, 18 and seven last year, but I just think for what the Clippers need and looking at who they're going to have to go through in the West, Anthony Davis, you know, Nikola Jokic, Rudy Gobert, you you know, we'll we'll see what Golden State does. Like you need a guy that you're confident, you know, that that can hang with those guys. And I just, I don't think with the sample size we have, I mean we didn't really get to see it in in this postseason. although Jokic did torch Trez and, you know, I I think he had like a minus 30 net rating with, with Jokic on the court. I just think Zubots, while he isn't perfect, he, he isn't like, again, he's not Rudy Gobert. He, he's not that like defensive player of the year level defender. He is a much better defender and he's a, a quality rim protector who can at least, I, I thought he made Jokic's life a, a little difficult. You know, Jokic is Jokic. Superstars are always going to get theirs, but he at least bothered him a little bit at times. And you, you couldn't say the same for Trez. So again, I just, if you're re signing this guy at 12 to 15 million, to be your 28 to 30 minute a night center and, and be your closer. I just don't know how that works with, with this Clippers team. You know, again, it could be wrong and, and maybe they're higher on him than I think. And, and they re-sign him, but um, th- that's my current read on the situation.
0: Yeah. I mean, Zubac's uh, rim protecting numbers were kind of nuts this year. I think he was third in the league in defensive field goal percentage at the rim with like Giannis yeah. and Brook Lopez basically. And you can go and look at like, Luka Doncic's numbers in the mm-hmm. first round like with Zubac on and Zubac off and it's like night and day it's crazy so I I actually think and I I know you've been a big Zubac guy all season uh I I definitely think that he has made a strong case for more minutes you know whether he can be that like 30 minute a game center I'm maybe a little bit skeptical like I don't think he's actually as good a rim protector as his numbers showed this year but Uh, I definitely think he's capable of being a starter and in some cases, probably a a finisher as well, like somebody who's who's reliably out there in closing lineups. But I, I do think, you know, this idea of having a regular season floor raiser is interesting because like the Clippers have a ton of talent, obviously, even outside of Harrell. And, you know, this applies to Lou Williams as well. Like they don't necessarily need those guys, but again, those guys have been like really valuable regular season contributors for them. and. Obviously, like the playoffs are the main focus right now, but I think just given how competitive next year's Western Conference is shaping up to be, it's not like they can just afford to set a bunch of regular season wins on fire. Like, I don't think they want to wind up playing the Mavs in the first round again, or falling into the Lakers bracket and having to play them in the second round. So it does feel like they maybe have to balance those two priorities to a certain extent, as much as obviously like the playoffs are going to be the overriding goal.
1: That's a really good point, point. and I think that was something that they struggled with this season. Um, and it kind of tied into some of the stuff I reported on on the chemistry um, and just some of the internal dynamics. I think you had this situation where, you know, for the the prior two seasons, you had Patrick Beverly, Lou Williams, Montrezl Harrell assume these roles that they normally would not assume. On a high-level winning team, right? Like Lou Williams for two seasons was their go-to guy offensively, was the closer, um, you know, was hitting game-winning shots, and and maybe that you know he did some of that in in Toronto and Houston, and like you know on the right team he's fine as as a closing option, but you know being the go-to guy on a playoff team you don't think of Lou Williams in that way. And then again, you know Montrezl Harrell has, has broken out the last few years. Pat Beverly. Kind of became the heart and soul of the team uh and really was one of the faces where you know normally he's just kind of a role player on a team but he had kind of become one of the you know it was almost like they were the trio of stars um you know i remember in the golden state series in, in 2019 like those were the three podium guys all the time and, and then you have a new situation where Kawhi leonard and paul george come in And they're clearly superstars, right? Like they're, they're top, you know, entering the season, you would have put Paul George probably as a top 10 guy, top 12 at worst. Um, So those two guys now start getting, you know, they're the faces of the team and and they're getting certain treatment and and different stuff. And I think it was a bit of an ego check for some of the role players uh, on the Clippers last season. And I think where, you know, to, to bring back, uh, you know, Ty and accountability, like that's maybe where, um. I think Doc kind of came up short in in where maybe Ty can have more honest and and candid conversations with guys. Because again, I think Doc has always been someone who plays to guys' strengths and and kind of wants to give them the role that they want and and wants them to play the way they want. And there are some pros to that where I think that's where you get guys to buy in, at least initially. Uh, and, and you get guys, you know, happy to play for you, and, and you've seen doc and power guys like DeAndre Jordan, JJ Reddick, get them to play their their you know career best basketball. But you know, I think there needs to be a reality check, and, and there needs to be like you know one of the conversations I'm having if I'm Ty Lu this this uh, you know off season with some of these guys is like, look, Kawhi and, and PG are the stars, like they are the superstars of the team. They are number one and two in the pecking order, and you can either fall behind where I'm going to tell you where you are in the pecking order, or we're going to have to trade you. Like those are kind of the the, the two options. So I do think that looking at Lou and looking at Trez, I'm, I'm completely on board with you that they are floor raisers, especially in the regular season. It's just, I think there needs to be that dose of reality of when we get to the postseason, you guys might not be third and fourth on the pecking order. You guys might not even be in the closing lineup because of the defensive issues so you know and and that was that was kind of what i i sensed in the playoffs was like you know doc was trying to keep trez happy by having him close some games by still having him play 18 to 20 minutes a night when it was like you know really zubat should be playing 25 to 28 minutes and if you're gonna go you know those minutes he's not on the court it should be jermichael green at the five or it should be marcus morse at the five in like a small ball configuration like those guys are just as good, if not better, defensively than Trez, uh, You know, are better rebounders, and, and then they could space the floor. And I, I thought you saw that in the Denver series when the Clippers actually went small to Jermichael or Marcus. Uh, all of a sudden, Kawhi had driving lanes. PG had driving lanes that weren't there when Zubats or Trez were on the court. So I, I think if, if they can get those guys to buy in and kind of accept their limitations and accept sort of what their roles should be on a championship team, I, you know, I, I think Lou should be back. Tresh should be like, you know, bring everybody back and, and kind of give it a second year. But if those guys still kind of struggle with that and, and maybe think they should be playing more than they are or should have bigger roles than they had, that's where it gets tricky because, you know, for for as good as the, the regular season floor might be, this team is going to be judged entirely by its postseason results. And if they don't have, you know, I almost felt they had too many regular season players and not enough post-season players. And they need to find that balance heading into next season with guys who actually fit post-season basketball, guys who can't be played off the floor defensively, guys who are going to crash the glass defensively to rebound, guys who are going to make the extra pass. Like They need more of that, and, and they didn't have that this season.
0: No, I think that's well said. Uh, I, I do think the one area where they might really miss trez if they were to let him walk or trade him you know especially if the guy that they're replacing him with is somebody like a, you know like a super low usage center like a dwight howard or a Nerlens Noel is just uh the interior scoring because mm-hmm. they, they don't have a ton of that like uh, they kind of make up for it by getting to the line a ton and and Kawhi can obviously get to the rim you know more or less at will but outside of that uh, like they're fairly perimeter oriented and mid range oriented. And I think Harold gave them a lot of that interior punch that they might have a hard time making up for, but I just want to go back to, I mean, you, you mentioned the chemistry stuff and I would be remiss if I didn't hit on this at some point, cause we've talked kind of about the basketball stuff, but midway through the season, you wrote this mammoth reported feature with, I think Sam Amick mm-hmm. uh, about the tensions inside the Clippers locker room as they transitioned from being this uh, plucky underdog to being this star laden contender. And I'll be honest, I I read that story with great curiosity and fascination, but part of me also felt like, you know, this seems like the kind of thing we're going to look back on after the Clippers have won the title and we'll laugh about it and think it was totally overblown Uh, because I've seen the Raptors go through a lot of the same stuff the previous season. Um, And like, it didn't play out publicly in the same way, but, and I'm not, you know, plugged in the way that you are. I don't have any sources, but just like watching the team a lot and spending a bit of time around the team, there was this sense of, um, I'll call it unease, I guess, about the same stuff, you know, Kawhi's sporadic availability and the fact that he kind of operated outside of the flow of the Raptors' usual offense and Lowry and Kawhi even hinted at some like behind the scenes drama when they did their interview with Rachel Nichols after winning the title, but, but they won the title. So everything else was just water under the bridge at that point. And that's kind of what I expected to happen with the Clippers, but apparently not. And so you did another, uh, reported feature with Joe Varden after Ty Lue got hired, which contained this widely aggregated nugget, um, Players like Beverly, Montrezl Harrell, and Lou Williams, Clippers bedrocks before the arrival of Leonard and George, bristled when Leonard was permitted to take games off to manage his body and to live in San Diego, which often led to him being late for team flights. The team also allowed Leonard to dictate to Rivers when he could be pulled from games, among other things. So as far as sort of smoothing out those tensions, I it doesn't seem like it's going to be easy, right? Like, is that going to change? Like, I, presumably Kawhi is still going to be living in San Diego next season, right? Like, is he... Is Lou going to make sure that he is more on time for team flights? Uh, Is he going to, you know, have less say over when he enters and exits games? Like, how does this particular crisis get resolved?
1: Yeah, that's. uh, I mean, this is the. I don't even want to say million dollar question. This is like the multi million, maybe (laughs) hundreds of million dollar question. Yeah. Um, Again, I, I I keep going back to. Accountability, uh, you know, and I know that's that's kind of a a buzzword and um, it's a little ambiguous, but I I do think that if you saw the way that Ty came in and challenged LeBron, you know, of, of course he's LeBron and he's going to have sway over certain things. And, you know, it's not like he stripped him of his power But I do think it's almost like, you know, sometimes you you do have to come in and and sort of assert yourself and and say things are going to be different. And I I think, you know, also looking at the situation, you have to assume that Kawhi wasn't happy with how the season went, right? Like he was not, you know, content with, with the way it ended. So I do think kind of approaching him with a new voice and after a disappointing season, you might get more concessions and and you might get more buy-in just because you can kind of say like, Hey, we kind of did it your way in year one and it didn't end up working out. And obviously uh, it's not all on Kawhi. I I would put, you know, actually very little of it on Kawhi. Um, I mean, I do think some of these things played into some of the chemistry stuff. And I do think obviously he he struggled in the second halves of, you know, game six and seven in, in the Denver series, but the Clippers would not have been in that, Position you know, up three one without Kawhi. Like I, I thought there was a actually a case to be made. He might have been the best player in the playoffs through uh, the first four games of the Denver series. Like I, I really thought he was at a higher level than LeBron or Giannis at that point. Um, and you really could have made a case that he he was the best player in the postseason. Then that all changed the last three games of that series. So I do. I and I think to kind of go back to some of the stuff we've been talking about, like that is maybe where you need to move on from a Montrez Harold, a Lou Williams, a Pat Beverly, or, or maybe even a couple of those guys because they were all, you know, in the center of the conflict uh, this past season. And it's like, sometimes there is an addition by subtraction. And, you know, again, maybe it lowers your your regular season floor a bit. But also one thing that I, I think uh, Doc did that, you know, I think Ty will will probably change is, you know, he, he didn't stagger Kawhi and PG that much. Um, You know, it was a lot of the first unit, the second unit Um, there were like, you know, maybe three or four minute spurts each half where he'd kind of combine them. And then obviously he'd have his closing lineup, but I think it really should be almost like what the Lakers did, where at all times Kawhi Leonard or Paul George is on the floor. You will have, you know, for 48 minutes a night, you will have both of the, you know, one of those two guys on the court and, You know, maybe it lowers the ceiling on the minutes where they they are on the court because there's going to be fewer of them. But I think that might be... Because the the Clippers did rely, I think, too much on their bench almost last season where you saw it in the bubble. Once the bench kind of collapsed, which the bench was awful. Like the the bench really struggled in in the bubble and and in the postseason. Uh, you You know, all of a sudden, now they're playing these lineups that haven't really played together. And it is a lot of like Lou and Trez... And and Reggie Jackson, like trying to fit around Kawhi and PG and and the starters in lineups that they hadn't really played. And and there was kind of a division between the starters and the bench. So I think next season, Ty, you know, on top of whatever personnel moves they make with the roster, like Ty needs to do a better job than Doc did of incorporating lineups, incorporating rotations, and and really, you know, testing out stuff that you're going to see in the playoffs because you're not going to see you're not going to be playing the Lakers and going with an all bench lineup. Otherwise you're going to lose like that. That's just not going to work. You're not going to do that against the Warriors either. So I think again, like, I I don't, I don't know. I I think the the Clippers are still fine. I don't think the Clippers have an answer to to your question either. Like, I think they're still figuring that out, but I, I do think having Ty come in, having that championship experience more recently too, right? Like, you know, Doc's title was in 2008. Ty's was four years ago. He got LeBron to buy in. He got Kyrie Irving to buy in. He got Kevin Love to buy in those guys, you know, those are tricky personalities. You could make the case probably trickier than Kawhi and PG. So if you can get those guys to buy in, I think Ty has a a good shot to get Kawhi and PG to buy in. And then if the role players don't want to buy in, I think they'll be in different teams next season. So I think the Clippers are going to have to have a real honest assessment with themselves this offseason of what worked, what didn't, who should be there, who shouldn't, and then kind of go from there. But I I think – one potential way to address some of these things is moving on from certain players is adjusting the personnel and you could see an addition by subtraction
0: in that regard. Do you think that the Lakers specifically winning the title was kind of salt in the wound here? Because it feels to me like, you know, so much of what the Clippers have done uh, you know, the lengths they went to, to get Kawhi and PG, the, uh, deal to buy you know the forum in inglewood like i feel like they've gone to such lengths to try and remove themselves from the lakers shadow and just like carve out some cachet and like their own niche in los angeles and so for for their season to end the way that it did and then for the lakers to be the team that won the title i mean i don't know that there would have been any way for there to be any like added pressure or stress on next season. But I feel like the fact that the Lakers are now the defending champions maybe does that.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, this, this is, you said it at the top of the podcast, like this is arguably the the most high pressure situation in the NBA right now. I would even argue that it might even be more so than Milwaukee. Like, you know, I, I would, you know, Giannis is a generational talent. You know, he is the two time defending MVP. And obviously, him leaving Milwaukee would be devastating for them. But, you know, Milwaukee at least kind of has, they still have their picks, right? Like they, they still have assets in play to, um, you know, you're know, you not going to replace Giannis and it's going to take you years to even find a, you know, maybe an all-star like foundational piece. But in that case, you can kind of quickly rebuild and at least have like a promising future of like, okay, we're, we're going to be in the draft the next few years. Like, let's try to find our next star. Um, and it's not going to be fun. It's not going to be easy, but they at least kind of have their assets moving forward. If the Clipper, you know, if this flames out with the Clippers, if Kawhi and PG, you know, they they lose next season, those guys aren't happy. They don't believe in the organization. They leave like they don't have it. Like, what are they going to do? Right. Like they don't have their picks for the next half decade. They, you know, maybe they, you know, I guess the, the one advantage they have obviously over Milwaukee is that they are a free agent destination now like they have um, you know, I, I think that is now that could change though. If Kawhi and PG both leave, you know, maybe players around the league, look at it like it's LA, but it's not the Lakers. And, and, you know, like, can we trust that if Kawhi and PG are leaving? Um, but I do think there are stars that would jump at the, you know, being in LA and, and, you know, just playing for the Clippers being the, the new face of the franchise. So, um, you know, maybe they're able to reload in, in that regard, but, as we said, you know they're not they don't really have trade assets, especially if Kawhi and PG leave, and then they don't have draft capital to find that next um, you know star, f- find that next kind of piece that that can take them into the next era. So, if this doesn't work out for the Clippers this season, th- it could get real dire real quick w- with them. So, I think yeah, the the pressure with everything is something that I'm not I'm not envious of. <laughs>
0: Yeah, suffice it to say, if last season wasn't championship or bust, then next season is certainly going to be. (laughs) And I think uh, we can probably end it there. So, Yvonne, thank you so much for taking the time and for offering your insights. Do you have anything you want to plug before you go?
1: Uh, Just to uh, check out my work on The Athletic. Uh, We're constantly having different promotions going. So um, if you you haven't subscribed, uh, please do so off of one of my stories helps me out but yeah i mean if if you ever have any clipper questions any any feedback on anything just uh reach out to me on twitter at yovan buha j-o-v-a-n-b-u-h-a all
0: right man thanks again and thanks to our listeners for listening and i'll be back uh with joe kat next week